0: Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope that it will encourage you and help you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more. That was very good. Well done, everybody. Uh, I don't know why Laura kept walking through the shot there. Um, maybe it was because she was drumming today. Did you all see that? I don't know who. That was very good. She was hoping I would say that. No, she was not hoping I'd say that. I'm going to be in trouble later. But uh, I just wanted to acknowledge her multifaceted skilledness, And uh, we're, we're most impressed and most thankful for you, Laura. Uh, me at the top of that list. Okay, here we go into our last... I don't know if I'm digging a hole or doing... but uh, I better just stop is what I'm getting. That's the signal I'm feeling. If you have your Bibles, there's some... That's a better direction to go. in. First Peter is where we're going to end up in, the, in a few moments. First Peter. This is the last in a seven-week series called Gospel Fluency. And uh, if you were with us, I know many of you have journeyed through each week, and some of you have caught up online if you were away. And so many of you have been... Journeying weekly with us and talking in groups through the week about these different trees that help us to understand how scripture is telling a story about God, and it helps us understand what's at the very heart and foundation of what is called the gospel. By the way, what does the word gospel mean? Good news. And uh, maybe you've had the unfortunate experience of receiving the gospel in the way in the past where it actually felt anything but good news. It felt like discouraging, terrible, difficult news. And while there are realities within the gospel that are sobering to pay attention to, as we approach it in this way, as we see what God is doing in these five trees and through these five trees and what he's revealing about himself, it actually comes to us as great news. It's a relief. And I hope you've been feeling with that with us along the way as we've been going through this. In the very first week, before we even started Into the Trees, we, we kind of explored, why do we even need a series like this? Do we need a series like this? Isn't the gospel just sort of like our entry in, and then once you're in, you, just, you don't need to think about it anymore? Or could it be that it has implications to everyday life and faith forever for us? The very first week, we talked, anybody remember Apollo 13, watched the movie back in the day? Um, the story: a group of astronauts have uh, a big accident in outer space, and all of a sudden, their capsule, their module that they're in, is uh, leaking oxygen. And there is now a timeline on how much oxygen is left and when their lives will end, unless they find a way to repair uh, what's gone on in. So the movie's famous for which line: Houston, we have a problem. And uh, the problem was so big that, uh, you know, you can't just, from outer space, call Amazon Prime and hopefully they'll deliver you the part in in 24 hours. The team of uh, scientists were faced with the fact that we have to solve something major and we need to look within the ship and see what we actually have here and somehow reconfigure these things to solve our problem. And the very first week of this series, there was sort of this, I think, aha moment for many of us as we realized, we actually might have a problem here uh, because we actually did a little exercise. Everybody got a little slip of paper and said, write down, take just two minutes, write down the gospel in two sentences and then give yourself a score to 10. And many of us were like, okay, if I'm honest, I actually don't know how well I did on that. And many of us would believe that the gospel is kind of the essential for our eternity. And so we might want to be a little more confident in that. And then we talked a little bit about the fact that as, t- as followers of Christ, I mean, none of us are perfect. We all know what it's like to have lapses where we get wound up and worried and concerned about all kinds of things, and it's as if we're forgetting the gospel. We're forgetting uh, what God has done and what he will do for us and our world. It's like in that moment, we're an unbeliever. And so, Houston, we have a problem, As followers of Christ, we at times are unbelievers. And as followers of Christ, we're not even sure if we do know the gospel. And so that's why we thought, let's look at what we have and see if our problems are solved with what we already have right here in Scripture. Maybe we don't have to look way out into space and call Amazon Prime to help us figure out the gospel. Maybe God's word gives us some help. And that's what brought us to five trees. Now, I'm not going to change screens yet. I just want to see who can help me remember the five trees. Some of you have been with us through it all. The first tree is the tree of? Very good. Much better than last week. Second tree is the tree of? Freedom. Freedom. Also very, very good. Third tree? Faithfulness. Okay. Uh, I could use a little more volume on that one, a bit more crowd participation. Third one is? Faithfulness. Yeah. Uh, do we have Aiden upstairs? Is mm-hmm. he? Oh, Aiden's sick. Okay, so uh, we've got our teens have been doing this in youth as well, and Aiden uh, won a prize on Wednesday because he just knew them all, and of course, my son Jackson, who loves memorizing things and figuring things out, was very mad at Pastor Clay because Pastor Clay wouldn't pick him to tell everybody what the five trees were, and Pastor Clay knew that's a pastor's kid. He might be cheating here, Uh, but he knew it. He knew it. Let's all give it up for Jackson. He knew it and for Aiden as well well done the the fourth tree is a tree of oh sorry did you need that again fourth tree is the tree of forgiveness, forgiveness. that's right that's right and then the fifth tree which we looked at last week is a tree of renewal. these people were here last week for the rest of you now i have to re-preach that one before i get to today's message no you can go back and listen if you want F- fifth tree is a tree of renewal, renewal life, freedom. Remember the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? God empowers us with choice, the opportunity to either reject him or receive him, and that is the greatest gesture of love. It's his way of saying, I will not be a controller up in the sky and force you to be robots down on earth. I am a father. I want children. I want to be in relationship. And then he forms a covenant family and expresses Faithfulness after faithfulness after. If you've ever struggled reading through some of the Old Testament, just remember this. God is faithful. It's the ongoing message through the rest of the Old Testament. God is faithful when things are difficult. And God is faithful when we are difficult. Uh, anybody pretty good at the latter one? You know, you know what it's like to be difficult for God. And by his love and mercy, he is faithful to us. He forgives through Jesus Christ and at the cross. And then, as we looked at last week, in the culmination of all things, as we turn towards the very end of scripture, which isn't an end, it's actually a new beginning, God from the throne speaks this, I am making all things new. And he says he's gonna make all things new, and then he shows that he's gonna make all things new. And how did he show that that was his plan? Not just the death of Jesus, because it didn't end there, a resurrection followed. It was the resurrection of Jesus Christ that initiated a movement of God's new world coming into our world, him making all things new. So in light of us being on this side of a journey of five trees, I have three questions for you. The first is this, do you feel, seven weeks later, that you might know the gospel a little better? Do you feel firmer in it? A little bit, I think, for some of us. Maybe for many of us, it's like this has actually been quite revolutionary for me to see God in this way, to see what he's doing in our world. And again, to be reminded that the Bible, at at the end of the day, (laughs) as much as many people would like to put it on a self-help shelf somewhere at chapters, it's not. The Bible is not about you. It is about God and what he's doing in our world. And the gospel is not about you it is about god and what he's doing in our world and what he's done for you and will do for you and it is now our opportunity to trust and follow i hope that many of you would join me in feeling that you have a firmer grip in what the gospel is second question would be could the story of god and the five trees um, be of help to you from now on when you're faltering or when you're um you know, lapsing into some of those gospel-forgetting moments, you know, when you get wound up about something, could it actually help you to remember, right, God is for life, for freedom, faithfulness, forgiveness, renewal. Can that actually help us out of some of those gospel-forgetting lapses, those times that we are actually almost unbelievers? Could this help us? I think so. The very first week the series, we talked a little bit about just some examples that maybe some of us have experienced that can drive us into moments where we actually are kind of in unbelief. Maybe it's never happened to you, but it's happened to me where I miss reading Scripture for a day or two. And then there's a piece of me that's like, ooh, I kind of feel like God must be upset with me right now. It's probably, maybe it's just my problem, not yours. I don't know if anybody can identify with that. And so when we have that feeling, sometimes we think, I'm going to catch up and read some extra scripture, I'm, and plus I'm going to do some good things, right? And that's, without us saying it, on the inside, we've now believed in Christian karma, that uh, God is mad at me, therefore I should do some good things to outweigh that, and then if I have some trouble at the pearly gates one day, I'll be like, but did you see all those? Like, I did that really good thing. I was at a red light, and, uh, and then it turned green, and nobody moved, and I didn't honk. <laughs> as if we can deserve or earn our way into relationship with God. That's not what the five trees are about at all. In fact, they speak a better story to us, that God loves you, that he doesn't wait to you uh, until you deserve forgiveness or are somehow worthy of it. He offers it freely as a gift. Some of us know all too well what it feels like at moments to feel like a failure as a parent. And sometimes to, in your mind, think this is somehow fatal, this is the end or whatever. And if you've ever had one of those feelings, could it be that there's something in one of these five trees that actually brings us a sense of hope that when we are difficult or when things are difficult, God is still faithful. It does not spell out the end. God is at work. Maybe you know what it's like to have a haunting regret in your soul or in your memory life. And when you replay it, there's all kinds of negative talk that comes towards yourself. What if we spent time just remembering that? Is there something in here that helps us get past haunting regrets? How about things like forgiveness? How about things like renewal? God is making all things new. How about things like God's faithfulness? The week that we opened this series, that week North Korea fired a missile over Japan, And there was rumors coming out of Russia that they had trains moving westward with nuclear weapons on board. And so for some of us that week, there was a thought of, oh boy, this is now the end. Is it the end? Would that actually be the end? Is that what this story says? Is that what God is doing in our world? If that kind of reality unfolds you, I promise you it would be terrible for our world. But it's not the end. God's renewing it all. We have hope in the midst of chaos in our world right now. Third question for you is, do you feel like you might have some language now to share a little bit of the gospel? If you ever have a a coworker, a neighbor, a friend who doesn't know Jesus yet, and they're like, okay, you're a faithy kind of person, I've got a question for you. Is there a framework that might actually help you describe, you know, because there are people that have real questions about Scripture, or reality, or God. And I, I know I'm not alone in this room at times where I felt lost, We're like, what do I say now? And for me, it's helped me to have sort of a framework of like four or five things I can simply remember and be like, okay, well, I can talk about this. This might help. This helps us display what God's heart is like. Tim Keller gave some really great advice, I think, when he said this. If you have somebody who's maybe angsty against God or the idea of God, maybe they're an atheist or maybe they're just angsty, Try saying this to them. Say this. Say, tell me about the God that you don't believe in. Maybe I don't believe in that God too. And so really, I would invite you, if you're finding yourself in a moment where you have an opportunity for a conversation and maybe it's a little spicy and dicey and somebody's attacking or whatever, just disarm the moment and say, okay, tell me about the God that you don't believe in. And then listen. Remember how we prayed for a listening heart earlier? And when they say all kinds of things that are not true about who Jesus is, shut up. Shut up. Listen. Listen. And then, I mean, you might have the opportunity to say, Well, that's actually interesting. If that's what God is like, I don't think I would want to believe in Him either. And then an opportunity might be given to you where you say, Could I just share what I think is revealed in Scripture about what God is like? He's a God that gives life, He's a God who actually gives freedom and choice to humanity as an expression of His love. He is a God that when things or in a mess, he shows up with faithfulness. He shows up with forgiveness. And he knows that we've made a grand mess of all things, but he's committed to making all things new. I think there's something about clarifying what God is like, maybe through a story like this, that might help some people out there who are struggling with the idea of God. So, five trees, last Sunday in the series, now what? <laughs> Let me call you to the book of First Peter. Earlier this year, we actually spent five weeks in a series on First Peter. Some of you were part of that, and so for some of you, this might be just a helpful revisit back to that. Others, it's a bit of an introduction. The series itself, in uh, the spring, was called "Stranger Things," and the reason for that was some of the language that we find throughout the book of First Peter has a message for all of us, and definitely for those first-century believers at the time that Peter was writing to. You see, those first century believers were harassed. Uh, There were cultural and social pressures of all kinds. There were political threats coming against them. And so the first followers of Jesus in that first century were feeling very marginalized. They were feeling discriminated against. And then they were faced with a choice. What do we do here? I think we have two choices. Choice one, we just try to fit in. And it doesn't work well. I mean, you could, but then you get absorbed back into what you were part of and what you were saved from, and you go back into your old ways and your old life. So you have that choice, though. I mean, you can just try to fit in, or you can accept something. You can accept that, as Peter writes, you're aliens, you're foreigners, you're strangers in this world if you're following Jesus. You have to accept the fact that you're different. You're not going to fit. It's going to be Uncomfortable. And it doesn't mean, as we talked about in this series, that we should go out of our way to make it difficult. Don't make it weird for people. <laughs> Don't make it weird. But there are times where it's just not going to fit the way you see things versus how culture and society are pushing or friends are. So First Peter, in a nutshell, this is a review for some of us, new for others. First Peter is written so that strangers could withstand surrounding pressures and win the respect of those who don't know Jesus yet by insisting on continually doing very good things together in everyday life to enemies and the receptive alike. That's sort of First Peter in a paragraph. If you want First Peter in three words, I give you this. Withstand by witness. Withstand witness. By witness. So with that in mind, would you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2? By the way, I just used my new Five Trees bookmark that's in my Bible. Life, freedom, faithfulness, forgiveness, renewal. I feel like Oprah Winfrey. Everybody reach under your seats. No, 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 don't reach under your (laughs) seats. But when you leave the service today, a two by six bookmark can be yours. If you would like to receive one, then you can put it in your book. Try to stick it on your phone. If you read on your phone, uh, I don't know, just put it somewhere. Tape it to your windshield. It's yours. Okay, two passages I want us to just recall together from the book of First Peter. Starting in chapter 2, verse 11, it says this. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers. Isn't that nice? I mean, just think about it. Put yourself in the first century. You're trying to fit into the Roman world and the Jewish pressures that surround you. And then this church leader says, hello, aliens. Foreigners, strangers, just a reminder, you won't fit in. As aliens and strangers in the world, abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Could you say the word among? Could you say the word see Now we're going to go to chapter 3, verse 13. It says this, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. You say Christ as Lord? Always be prepared. Could you say prepared? Prepared. To give an answer to everyone who asks you. Can you say the word you? you? Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with, and then Peter gives the weapons for our evangelistic warfare here. Do this with what? Ammunition and anger and be angsty and angry at all the unbelievers, make them feel awful. No, do this with gentleness and respect. In these uh, selections of scriptures from 1 Peter, I want to just draw your attention to five simple thoughts that I think help us as we move forward together. The first is this, from the first passage in chapter two. Abstain and engage. Chapter two, verse 11 and 12, essentially could be boiled down into these two words. Listen, you're aliens, you're strangers, so then, number one, you need to abstain. There are things you just Shouldn't do, because it's not part of your culture. It's not part of your faith world. Abstain from it. Withdraw. And, at the same time, live such good lives among that people see, which means what? Engage. And it's interesting, because for if you, as you look at Christian history through the last couple of millennia, there have been some movements that focus mostly on abstain. In fact, only on it. They're like, let's get out. Let's create our own little neighborhoods, our own schools, our own this, our own that. And just stay away from those icky, awful other people. And abstain, abstain, abstain. But abstain without engage is a problem. And engage without abstain is a problem, too. I've seen others, and you look at church history, too. There's been movements that are all about engage, 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 engage. But without abstain, they become just like the world around them along the way. That's why Peter wisely brings these two words. Listen, as you evaluate your everyday life, there are th- some things you just have to step back from and say, I'm not, I, I'm not part of that. That's not me. That's Jesus who is in me. Does, he does not partake in that. And then as you live your everyday life, you're going to meet broken, wounded souls, hurting people, difficult people. And how does Christ within respond? Engage. Love. Serve. Help. Befriend. And so the word to you and I today first invites us to abstain from certain things and engage with our mission field. Second is the word proximity. Some of you might remember we talked a little bit about proximus, maximus, and then proximus, maximus, togethermus, sort of our Latin attempt at something. Why does proximity matter? Is it even in the scripture? Absolutely it is. What did Peter say in chapter 2, verse 11 and 12? Live such good lives... Among, so that what? People see your good deeds. Now, none of us are supposed to be doing the good stuff to show off, but neither should it be invisible. You and I should be engaging in the community, in our mission field so well that people see the good news in our lives. So the question is, uh, when it comes to mission, it's not who are you passionate about reaching? The question is, who are you among? Among because they're already watching your lives. You see, if you're good at parachuting in, let's say you drive to a place where there's lots of like uh, people who are without a home, you know, so they're living in homelessness, and you sort of parachute in, you drive across town, or you drive to Vancouver and you serve those people, but at home or at work you're a jerk, um, those whom you are among are getting a different story about what God is like than those you're parachuting in to serve and help. And so the question is, not who do you have a passion for and that's your mission field, it's who are you among? Who's watching your life? They're the ones that are getting the real gospel you believe, whatever it may be, true or false. And so proximity matters. I mean, if we were going to be missionaries in Europe and I was going to be a missionary in Romania and then I had a really good friend who was a missionary in Ukraine, it doesn't, if I'm living in Romania, it doesn't make a lot of sense for me to commute once a week to Ukraine to be a missionary there. It makes much more sense for me to remain a missionary in Romania and encourage my missionary friend in Ukraine, right? Because they have proximity there, and I have proximity here. And if I meet somebody else who's also in Ukraine and on mission, and I meet another person who's also on mission in Ukraine, and I think that's a really fancy, fun person I love, I feel like a best friend with that person, even though they're serving in Ukraine, who should I be serving with? Those that I have proximity with. The other people who are living in Romania and are um, on mission, right? Because proximity matters. That's why Peter's saying, listen, you are among some people and they see your life. So proximity together with others actually matters a lot. Really does. At Halloween, we talked about this at the last potluck. Some of our neighbors, Dave and Rowan, hosted a great little Halloween thing in their front yard. And they had a little fire pit and all kinds of treats for kids big chocolate bars, and then some healthy things, I think they said, and that's fine. Uh, And then they had some others from our neighborhood who know and follow Jesus hang out there as well. And then some others who don't know Jesus yet were also there, and they came and sort of parked themselves in Dave and Roanne's front yard, pulled out instruments and started, I I was sort of glued to my front yard because we had a bunch of stuff going on there and kids coming through, but I could hear singing down the street, and it was at their house. And I just was so proud of the fact that here some neighbors who have a common mission field, the people across the street, we're spending time together. Why does that make so much sense? Because of proximity. Because those neighbors across the street who moved here from Newfoundland a bunch of years ago, who do they see most? The people across the street from them and some of the others who live in our neighborhood. I love that. Proximity matters. Third, gospel intentionality together gospel intentionality together. Where do we see this in the text? Peter in um, chapter three, 13 through 15, he he suggests that people are gonna ask us why we have hope. And he says be prepared to give an answer when people ask you, do you remember that? Now our our English language is uh, pathetically impoverished at times, because when we read that, we're like, oh, uh, somebody might ask me about my faith. And hopefully, you know, that does happen. But that's not what Peter's saying in his writing here, because the word you is pregnant with plurality. And when we read it, we think, oh, he's saying it's just about me. But it's not just about me. It's about we. It's about us. Peter's saying you all should be prepared when people ask you all why you have hope, why we have hope, why... It's not a me thing, it's an us thing. It's The word you there in the original language is plural. And in English, we just use the word you. French would even help us, because what? Vous, right? You is plural, which means it's suggesting that our proximate mission work is not something that just happens alone. It happens together with others and i'm so proud of our church family as we are learning and growing about this many of our gospel fluency groups that have gotten together over these last seven weeks are making plans to do christmas outreach together i've heard of at least three groups that are helping disadvantaged people in our community like People who live without homes and so on, living in homelessness. They're they're doing real acts of compassionate love and service for them this Christmas season. And I think that is tremendous. They're not doing it alone. They're doing that together. I've heard about a group of teens in our church that are plotting some sort of event that they might pull off that they could invite some of their school friends to and be a lot of fun. And they think this might be so fun that some of the fun that they're feeling is actually the gospel that they're feeling. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Do you like that idea of teenagers doing fun things for friends who don't know Jesus yet, or am I at the wrong church? <laughs> I would clap for that if I was in your seat. <laughs> we have another group, another group who, somebody in their group uh, has developed a friendship or just a relationship with uh, their hairdresser. Uh, and you know some hairdressers aren't that chatty, but many are trained to be, so just to keep some conversation going. And through repeat visits, because hair grows, evidently, (laughs) um, you get to know the person, or you have the opportunity to, and for this person in that group, they've gotten to know their hairdresser over time. And at one point, the hairdresser says, so you're, you're kind of, you're a person of faith? Yeah, yeah, I follow Jesus. And then they just began to sort of unload some thoughts and things and struggles, and they're not a person of faith, the hairdresser, but they kind of felt that this individual in our church would be a safe person for them to share with. And so that individual brings it back to the group and says, this person's really discouraged right now. They're going through a lot of difficulty for our Christmas outreach. Do you think we could bless the hairdresser together? And I don't, uh, nobody tell any hairdressers this week, okay? Because we can't bust the, the, the exciting surprise. They're going to send the hairdresser on a spa day. Is that not nice? Does that not feel like the gospel? I mean, if I was in your seat, I'd be clapping about this too. <laughs> I am proud of this. And why do I love this so much? Because this isn't just sort of a parachute and drop-in kind of thing. There's ongoing relationships, There's natural follow-up that can occur, right? Because hair keeps growing. Um, Roxy and Pete, many of you met them on the way in. If They were greeting today. They live in Candy Cane Lane, which happens to be just the place to be at Christmas time. And I just think as a Christian, you should shutter the place and humbug and stay indoors, right? Not Roxy and Pete. No, 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 no. I don't think any Christian should do that, by the way. But if you're Roxy and Pete, I think they just live with the volume at 11 on everything. And uh, they happen to be in Candy Cane Lane. And so with their gospel fluency group, they're like, let's make this an awesome gospel experience where we're celebrating Jesus in a fun, relatable, great way as people drive through Candy Cane Lane, see all the lights and the displays. What if we had a living nativity and all kinds of great things? That's what they're going to do together. Isn't that great? And you know what I love about that again? Proximity is part of it. <laughs> Roxy and Pete aren't just living there temporarily for Christmas and then they're gone for 11 months of the year. They live there. Their neighbors are seeing this. Their neighbors are seeing this because Roxy and Pete are among them. Isn't that great? Oh, okay. Some, I didn't have to tell you to clap. Very good. Very good. Holly up there and uh, Michelle and Aaron they're part of a coffee club and they um, I think it's a great idea they're providing babysitting in their neighborhood for a bunch of neighbors so that the couples can have a parents night out together is that not awesome I just think that's amazing that's Christmas outreach I mean as a parent that's a relief to have a night. Free babysitting? Are you kidding me? Nobody can go talk to them and try to get babysitting out of them. This is for people who don't know Jesus yet, okay? Don't scam them, okay? But I just think that's amazing. And why does that matter? Because they're doing it for neighbors, for people who are friends in their community who don't know Jesus yet. They're, these are people that see their lives. That these are people they're among. This is proximity. This is wonderful. Brooke Peterson and his group. Somebody in their group has a neighbor who's a single mom. The yard has gotten out of control. It's a total disaster. There's blackberries and weeds and stuff like that everywhere. And so as a group, this group of guys in our church are like, I think when God says we're going to make all things new, like God wants to renew things, so when we clean up a neighbor's yard, that's a gospel gesture. So they're going to clean up a neighbor's yard together. They're going to make sure there's enough food for her and her family for Christmas. They're going to repair the shed on her property together. And it's a neighbor. Again, this isn't sort of like we're parachuting in and then we're out of here, like throwing a gospel grenade and running. (laughs) There's relational follow-up because it's in the neighborhood, among, and see, we've got to clap for that group too. I think that's just awesome. Okay, fourth thing we see in the text is the word prepare. Prepare. Always be prepared, which means prepare. (laughs) I looked it up in the Greek, and it means prepare. <laughs> it means actually do something to kind of practice. You know, if somebody actually asked me, you know, there's a chance that any one of these things, the hairdresser, the, the couple's getting, uh, you know, child care, the, the single mom neighbor who's getting her backyard done and the shed repair, there's a chance somebody might say, this is so nice, was like, why are you doing this? <laughs> If you've been tracking along with uh, the book, Gospel Fluency, there's a good story in there about a time somebody uh, serves tremendously in a neighborhood in the name of Jesus, sort of covertly. It's not like they're wearing a big Jesus T-shirt as they're doing it. And the neighbor who was so blessed by it that they asked the individual, why are you doing this? And their answer was, well, it's not that hard to be nice, is it? And that's kind of a Canadian answer. (laughs) but it's not a gospel answer. They didn't do it because it's not hard to be nice. They did it because this is what God, through Jesus Christ, has done to us. And you don't have to give a churchy, weird version of the answer, but you can just say, you know, hey, I know what it's like to have been at a loss, and in my faith, I've seen how Jesus has been so faithful to me, and I just feel like I want to share that faithfulness with others. Or I have something that I see in God that gives me hope that he's going to make all things new. And I want our world to feel that already. So we're making your yard new. Like it could be that simple. Could one of these five trees be part of your answer? It's much better than just saying, well, it's not that hard to be nice. You can actually link it to something in what God has done and what God is doing that's part of a gospel answer. Okay, so this is going to be uncomfortable for some of us, but we're going to do it anyways. We did this last year during a different series. We're going to do it this year. I'm going to ask you to pair up with somebody. Now, for many of you, that's your spouse, and that's just fine. If you're looking to pair up with somebody else, give an elbow and then run. We're gonna try, we're gonna prepare together. And I know the introverts right now, your heart rates have gone up, you're sweating a little more. I was praying early this morning for the introverts. If you're a guest with us today and you're like, what, they're doing this in this church, I'm out. Well, you could leave now if you want to. Or you can just sort of be like, "Uh, I'm participating by myself and that's fine. Uh, If you're at home, I want you to participate as well. So uh, in a moment, I'm gonna get you to pair up, but here's, let's put up this next slide. I want us to try this. We're just gonna take a couple minutes for this. Here's a scenario. A close Christian friend has received a difficult health diagnosis and they believe God must be settling the score for a particularly regrettable sin in their life. And we need to learn to speak the language of the gospel to encourage one another. Okay, so let's take two minutes now. Everybody turn towards your partner. I know it's a little uncomfortable. All you introverts, I'm praying for you. You can do this. Let's go. Good practicing, everybody. I know that it's always a bit uncomfortable to give this stuff a go, but it actually helps us begin to actually think about it. Wouldn't it be nice for us not just to be hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word? How many of you just can't stand a hypocrite, right? Ooh, don't put up your hand, but it'd be awful for us to be good at hearing the Word, but not actually practice this, right? Let's, let's keep it up. Okay, would you just take one minute and debrief how that went? Just debrief it. How did that go? What could you try? What else could you try? Okay. Okay, good job, everybody. Could we just give an applause to everybody who felt uncomfortable and you, you gave it a go? Thank you for doing that. I mean, I think that there's so many things in here in the five trees that would speak to something like this. Number one, I mean, if somebody's feeling like God's getting them back, I mean, the cross, hello, he's forgiven, he's not holding a grudge against you, he's forgiven. Um, if they're concerned about the health kind of thing, which is so real. Isn't it good news that God said, I'm going to make all things new? That gives us hope that sometimes when we pray, that happens instantly or it happens gradually. And if it doesn't happen in our lifetime, we have this confident hope that in the new beginning, it will be made new. And sometimes people are like, well, I'm not sure why this illness has come to me. Um, look backwards. I mean, there, there was a, two trees that Adam and Eve had to choose from. And one tree welcomed thorns and thistles and death into our world. That wasn't God saying, this is my plan to get you and develop character. This was him saying, these are the consequences of independence in our world. Pain, difficulty, challenge. And if this is difficult, is God going to be faithful or is he going to be like, eh? No, he's going to be faithful. He's proven it over and over again. Okay, let's do one more. You're going to switch. Okay, so the next time, now this, the other person is going to give it a go. Let's go to the next slide. Here it is. A coworker here's a scenario is reflecting on the pandemic and comments on how even though they knew it was very difficult for you too, you had a confident calm about you through it all. And then they ask, "Why? How how did you have that confident calm? Why did you have that confident calm?" Do we get that? Make sense? Now you could just say, "Oh, it's not it's not hard to be nice or whatever, but that's a pretty Canadian answer. I think there's something in these five trees that may actually inspire... You know, again, uh, I don't know where you went, and there's a lot of different directions you could go, but the trees that stand out to me on this one would be faithfulness, and you go through hard things. God is faithful to us. Somebody's like, why do you have a confident calm? You know, like... I'm part of a faith story that's thousands of years old, and I've seen and heard of ways that God has remained faithful to his people through hardship, real hardship. And I've just got to trust he's going to be faithful to us now. And if somebody's like, but this is the end, this is the end. You know what? I think if it's the end, as I see it, it's a new beginning. There's a faith that I cling to where... One of God's famous lines is, I'm making all things new, and that means COVID won't have the final word. God has the final word, and that's a new beginning word. I like that. I think so, hey? So that's about a 50% applause. That's okay. (laughs) Fifth thing I want you to see in this passage as we move towards singing together. Fifth thing. Peter says this, set apart Christ as Lord. Oh, by the way, there was a third exercise. You get to do it in your groups this week, okay? So that's that one there. Let's go to the next slide, Chris. Jesus, uh, Peter says, set apart Christ as Lord. And so, I mean, I think it's a good time for us just to evaluate again. Is Jesus my Lord? And Lord is a bit of a fancy old word. You know, some of us might go to like uh, English culture, you know, Lord of the manor and stuff like that. Don't think of that. The word Lord was used in the ancient Roman world at the time that scripture was being written. And there was two predominant meanings. To all the Jewish people, that word Lord was pregnant with this idea of Yahweh. It's God among us. So is Jesus your God is a good question. In their world, in the Roman world of the day in which Peter was writing and Jesus was living and all of that, um, the word Lord was what everybody called the emperor. Caesar was Lord. So when this little movement of breakoffs from the Jewish movement started claiming that Jesus is Lord, that was like, are you crazy? No, because the the emperor is Lord. In fact, in the Roman world, everybody had to say the emperor was Lord. The word was Kyrios. That was the word for Lord. And, And the emperor alone was God and was Lord. And then this little movement picks up steam and starts growing and says, no, 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 there's a different Lord. There's a better Lord. And people were actually put in a position where they got to evaluate. Well, if Caesar's Lord, what I see is a palace. What I see is power. What I feel is force. What I see is conquest. Caesar is Lord. And then these Christians would be like, no, that's, that's a farce. That's human independence just trying to assert itself in the most climactic way. That's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. When I see Jesus, I don't see palace, I see a manger. Humility. I don't feel force, I feel love. I don't see conquest, I see self-sacrifice. And so friends, is Jesus your Lord? Is that worth following to you? Because the world has plenty of emperors that you can give your life to. Sometimes emperors feel like sex or power. Success acceptance. And we'd rather serve that than Jesus. But that will spin you out. It will leave you empty. In our world, we don't have an emperor in our Western world. We have a worse tyrannical boss, I think, at times, which is me. It's you. It's the opportunity for us to serve the autonomous self and worship at our own throne. But how's that working for you? Would you like to be your own Lord? Would you like to serve the Caesars of our day? Or could it be that Jesus is worth following? When you think of the five trees, let me tell you about my Jesus. He's the author of life. Scripture tells us that when the Father was creating, Jesus was the word that was present. God spoke life into existence in concert with Jesus, who is life, who is the way, the truth, the life. And Jesus is love. And love means choice. And God gives you and I choice. And God doesn't force you into relationship. He says you can follow or you cannot. It's up to you. But it's his gesture of love. Friends, Jesus is love. Jesus offers real freedom. And when things go bad because of your choices or because of the world around you, Jesus is faithful. And you know what it's like, and I do too, to have all kinds of consequences of our sins and our behaviors and our independence lagging around us and jesus says i'm done with it i'll deal with it and he takes our consequences for us at the cross as god's gesture of forgiveness to the world i think that's worth following but that's not where the story ends it's not in a tomb with a dead body it's an open tomb an empty tomb a risen lord he's alive and he says i'm making all things new Let's stand together. We're going to celebrate that we follow Jesus. For those of you that are following along in groups this week, just so that you know, I've done my homework and you can do yours. Here's the slides or the uh, discussion questions. They're going to be on the screen behind me for you to see. There they are. These are going to be posted online today as well for you to access. Next week, friends, now that this series is done, let Christmas commence, and we're going to begin a new Christmas series beginning next Sunday. It's going to be real fun, and I hope, I hope you'll bring your Christmas spirit. If you're struggling to get it on this year, that's okay. We'll sing some Christmasy stuff. It'll help you. Tonight is our potluck. We look forward to that. I hope you're returning for that. And then on your way out, be sure to get one of your very own two by six, because you care about the measurements, <laughs> bookmarks. We're going to call our prayer ministry team forward. And as we conclude, and as I pray today, maybe you've come today and there's a need in your life, a struggle, a concern, something you need some help with. We would love to pray with you and pray for you today. Would you join me in putting your hand over your heart as we conclude? Father, we give you thanks for your great work in our lives made manifest through Jesus Christ. Right now, I pray that your spirit would move in us. As we go into your world on your mission, we declare we can't do this on our own. We need you. We don't want to live in independence. We choose dependence. We need your spirit's power and presence so that we could bring your love, your words, your work, your message, your ministry into the everyday stuff of the week in front of us. We need your grace for this. We pray this now in the strong name of Jesus. And everyone said with a smile. Amen. I hope you have a wonderful week. If you need prayer, these wonderful people would love to pray with you today. Have a great, great week. Thanks again for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged you as you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store. To enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more.